we are off. So welcome to the decompression chamber. Joining me this week is uh, an army army veteran. I knew him from the University of Utah, but uh, please welcome Mike. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for doing this. I I apologize for being a little rusty at this, but um, <laughs> but yeah, welcome welcome to the decompression chamber. I I've known you for years, probably yeah, since I started going back to school, so almost ten years now. Um, and uh, I know a little bit of your story, but not all of it. So I'm excited to get it. But um, but yeah, let's let's start back at uh, at the beginning. You're from uh, Washington State originally, right? Yes. Yep. I was born and raised in Woodenville, Washington. It's uh, kind of a, a suburb about half hour from Seattle. Okay. Uh, very well known these days for the Chateau St. Michelle Winery. Awesome. So. <laughs> yeah. A place known by its alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's some good character. Yeah. So, yeah. So I grew up in Woodenville. Um, when I was a kid, it was very rural, uh, lots of forest. It was, you know, kind of a, a dream for a little boy to have like acres and acres of forest to play in and, oh, yeah. you know, go. So, you know, I had my, my group of friends, we piled around on our mountain bikes and played cowboys and Indians and army and sports and, you know, jumped off the roof onto the trampolines, and, <laughs> you know, the stuff that kids are supposed to do. <laughs> uh, yeah yeah absolutely wow that's yeah. uh yeah that's like it's like a dream come true and of course you know forest kind of kind of goes without saying i think that's probably what most people think of with the pacific northwest outside of the cities yeah. okay yeah so that's great then it was uh i'd say about sixth grade-ish microsoft moved in ah. to the area and woodenville turned like ritzy overnight <laughs> I same thing happened in my hometown. Yeah. Yeah. Funny how that works. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but growing up, um, I was always, I was playing sports through school, you know, football and track and things like that. And as I got into high school, I was kind of a, a turned into like a, a little bit more of a loner kid. I'd like junior high through high school. Mm hmm and first had this need to like become like the toughest kid around and so i started like making my activities significantly like more risky um oh yeah, yeah. so yeah you gotta the push thing, the limits how are you gonna get right tough so the next thing that? i was i was i was boxing in high school and then boxing wasn't tough enough so then i started bull riding and um had a blast doing the rodeo thing for a couple of years there and then high school ended and i joined the marine corps college wasn't even on my mind oh man yeah <laughs> yeah and so yeah so i was in boot camp for the marines three days after i graduated high school uh so this was 2000 so pre 9 11 um so i got a about a wow. little over a little over a year of the peacetime military before 9-11 happened. Uh, I, I mean, what, what was, what was that like? I mean, cause that's obviously it's a huge shift in, in the collective mind, but I mean, what was pre 9-11 army? Like, was it as tough as you're expecting or what? Remember this is pre 9-11 Marines right oh, now. Oh, Marine, Marine. Right. So, I mean, what yeah. was that? 
Well, can't mix those up. Sorry about that. I'm... <laughs> um, yeah, so it was, you know, it, it was just, it was a lot of training. Um, I was stationed at Subbase Banger with the Security Force Detachment. Oh, yes. I was stationed there once upon a time as well. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, it was a lot, just a lot of training. It was, um, I think I had my first real world, like wake up call a couple months before nine 11. Uh, we were running, we were running a drill and had a rollover vehicle accident. And I lost my first two buddies there. Oh my. Uh, yeah. So then, then a couple months after that, nine eleven happened, and my world changed overnight. Um, oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was interesting because you, like, people's reasons for being in the military became very clear right after nine eleven. That you had oh, yeah. guys that were amped, like, let's go do this. Sure. And you had other guys that were like, I didn't sign up for this. It was college benefits, right? Right. And, right. Yeah. There's a big yeah. disparity. <laughs> Well, and I mean, if you're a Marine at Subbase Banger, I mean, you're an infantry Marine, right? I mean, that's right. all the security guys that they had. So it's not just like, oh, yeah, you guys are just going to be staying here. I mean, this is huge effect. Yeah. Not just any yeah. Marine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you, you saw a lot of guys working on getting out while other guys were um, amped. And it made sure. a, it created quite a bit of division, actually, within the unit. Um when you saw people's true colors like that, yeah. um, mostly towards the ones that didn't actually want to be there for the right reasons. Right. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah um, they, they'll yeah, try and get you yeah, in with anything. Yeah. And everything just changed overnight. You know, the security procedures and everything, you know, oh, yeah. based on what's on sub base banger, like we locked down for, I don't even remember how long, but we didn't leave the base for a long time. I believe <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is um, super secret squirrel stuff that goes on there. Like people don't realize, you know, any yeah. sometimes you'll see uh pictures of the different peers floating around on the internet and it's like, yeah, that's all that's older than like when I was there. <laughs> you know, right. they don't want you knowing what that stuff looks like. Yeah, well, I remember like pre-911, like uh my mom came in to visit and yeah. we drove right down right down to the pier and showed her the subs sitting out there and everything and Crazy. After 9-11, you couldn't even get close to the pier unless you oh, needed no. to be there. Yes. Yeah. yeah you needed... Even if you're stationed on the base. like. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah, it was a big deal. Now, they still had something when I was there, like, for Christmas. Families could come kind of close to something. I, I, kinda, I don't remember the entire thing, but, I mean, even that was, like, uh, it was pretty locked down. There's only, like, one specific yeah. spot they could go to. They had to be escorted out. I mean, it was pretty... I, th I think my time there was too close to 9-11 for that to happen. Yeah, yeah, they hadn't figured out all the kinks. That was never never right. going to happen. Right. Yeah. Wow. Crazy Yeah, so, so then because of 9-11, stop, loss, stop, moved happened with yes. all the, with everybody that was stationed at Banger especially. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, and so I ended up spending my entire four years there and i was oh. i was so i was so disenchanted oh I, like, I wanted to be an infantry marine like that was the yeah. deal like i go do this for two years then i go to the fleet and go do these other things yes. so i saw a lot of my buddies actually get and i think it was just 
timing stuff but right right um but yeah but i ended up there my entire career with the marines all four years and so i got out oh my god <laughs> i would too i would yeah. yeah i would i don't know i might take more yeah, drastic and... measures to get out sooner banger was, was a nightmare <laughs> Oof. Yeah, so I, and, and then I was out for like three months mm-hmm. and I missed it like crazy. Oh, for I, sure. Yeah, so one, I, I didn't have a plan for when I got out. Two, it, the camaraderie, like even though like being at Banger for four years kind of sucked, like the the camaraderie, I missed like crazy. Oh, for sure. And so I went to the local Marine Corps recruiter because I'm still living in the Banger area at this time. Um, and I talked to the Marine Corps recruiter and told him I wanted to get back in. Yeah. He's like, yeah, no problem, but it's going to take like six months. It's the Marine Corps smaller. There's not as many spots that can get filled. So I had to wait for things to open up. Sure. Um, so I walk out of his office and the army guy's next door and he's, he's waving me in. <laughs> so, of course he's out there with semaphore right. flags. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I was like, all right, let's go see what this guy's got to say. So I walk into the army recruiter's office and he's like, so you're trying to join the Marines, huh? I was like, well, I'm trying to get back at the Marines. He's like, oh, you were already a Marine? I was like, yeah. He's like, what was your MOS? And like, Infantry. He's like, oh, what'd he say? He's like, he said it's going to take six months. Army guy's like, I'll have you in in two weeks. Holy cow. Yeah, that's quick turnaround time. <laughs> Off to the army I went. Two weeks later, I showed up at Fort Hood. I didn't even have a uniform yet. And... <laughs> well, yeah, because you don't did you, you didn't have to do redo basic training, did you? Yeah, because I yeah. Yeah, I mean you're when yeah. you go from Marines to anywhere, you don't do basic training again. And then since I was staying the same MOS, I didn't have to get MOS trained. So wow, well that's a pretty sweet deal. But you know, getting you uniforms uh, that'll come later. We'll figure it out. Yeah. So, but it was kind of funny because I show up to reception at Fort Hood, and they're like, "You're supposed to be in uniform when you check in." And I was like. I don't have uniforms yet. Like, yeah, Why don't you I... have uniforms? Yeah. I was like, because I just came in from the Marines. Like, they didn't give me any. They just didn't show up. So I did. Yeah, yeah. So, the, the, so then they were like, oh. So they took me with my little sheet over to the clothing and sales and walked around and got all my uniforms. And <laughs> Wow. Now, did you get to keep your rank or what? Yep. Kept my rank and everything. I mean, it was it was different. Like, E4 in the Marines is like a solid NCO. Yes. Like you, and like you have a squad and E4 in the army. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's the highest private rank. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You might have a few corporals. It's like, if they just, if the army just wants you to hate your life, you know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that is not part of the E4 mafia. If you're a corporal, Mm -hmm. right. It's, only specialists yeah, yeah. right yeah. <laughs> yeah so i you know it's probably be- for the best at the time uh <laughs> yeah that that's true i mean you kind of learn a little bit about the army kind of how they operate and then uh then you're ready to to be an nco and move up to sergeant but okay so yeah. you get get settled in at fort hood get your uniforms and uh yeah it got assigned to one five cab they were already in iraq so shortly after that i went and joined them and wow so i i mean time frame wise you're at the recruiter's office versus you're joining joining your new unit overseas what what's the time frame like two months six months yeah so 
let's see, I showed, so I show up at, it was October 26th when I showed up at Fort Hood and it was like mid November ish. Wow. That is, that's a quick turnaround time. And so, right. I mean, basically like what, within a year, within probably what, eight months from going from banger to overseas with the army. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That is breakneck so, pace. Right. Yeah. So cut, cut the tail end of that. Um, we came back for a year and then we ramped up to go again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was supposed to be a year to year long deployment. Yeah. Uh, this was October 06 when we were deploying now. Mm-hmm. And that was during the surge. Right. And right. so a year deployment turned into a year and a half. Holy cow. <laughs> I I mean, because, well, I haven't been deployed, so I can't can't say for sure. I was stationed in Bahrain. Doesn't really count. It's like being stationed in Nevada. <laughs> eh. But, I, I mean, the passage of a year over there versus here in the States, it's, they're too... They're two different universes. So, I mean, what's, you know, people think, okay, you know, you went from 12 months to 18. It's like, that is, that's an incredible difference. And you probably don't find out until you're just about done with your 12 months, right? When, when did they tell you the bad news? Oh, so we got, we got that probably about four months in. Okay. Still, (laughs) after you left, after you already got there. It was a total bummer for me though. Cause like I had, so you get your, your two weeks during your deployment to come home for R&R. Okay. And I yeah. I had mine like perfect, like m- like right in the middle of the deployment. Yeah, like, yeah. Makes yeah. sense. And now I was now it's like, oh, this is going to be a lot longer to go when I get back. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. That's oh, that is brutal. Well, and it's and it's back-to-back deployments too, basically. You only had, you know, a year off before you're going off for what you think is only going to be another year only. And it turns yeah. into 18 months. Oh my! I well, yeah, yeah. And that's that's during the surge, and it's not like you have, uh, you know, with an all volunteer force, just a surge in recruiting numbers. So you know that was kind of a method to to keep, you know, personnel numbers up over there. Holy right, eighteen months. Yeah, and so yeah, and that deployment, I think that was that was our most brutal deployment. Was oh, was that one? Um, not just because of like the time like but like the casualties and everything during that deployment oh my god yeah yeah wow. so we were we were just outside of balad um kind of closer to Adaluya, on a little company sized bob it was just big enough for us mm-hmm. um yeah and we were just the op tempo was high we were running missions a lot and getting a lot of firefights oh man um so yeah, like the coming into this deployment, like um, my faith journey is like a big part of my life too. So yeah, I can't yeah. tell my story without talking about that. Absolutely, yeah. So, so it was, I would say, a little before this deployment where I really like discovered God in my life, and it became a real thing to me, um, and it really played a big role on this particular deployment with one soldier in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so I going on this deployment, I'm a squad leader now. I'm an E5 sergeant. Um, and I had, uh, so I was in weapons, but the machine guns, two, mm -hmm. we had two machine gun teams. And so I had a, a soldier, uh, his name was Raidersdorf. Uh, we just called him Raider. Got to keep it short. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Raider, his dad was a pastor at a church in Arizona. And Raider was like your stereotypical pastor's kid where he wanted nothing to do with church and God and it's like a <laughs> complete opposite direction, right? Yeah, yeah. And so he's assigned to me, like like newly found, like super strong faith guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Perfect fit for everybody. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so um, you know, there and one of the things about deployments and comedy, I'm sure you know this, like like even though it's like busy and it's a high op temple, there's a lot of just like downtime too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And one thing I do remember before it got bitterly cold at night was the sunsets were spectacular in Iraq. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I guess but then the, the the sunset ended and it got really cold. Like Yeah, people don't don't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that and that that sucks. Like you go from like <laughs> hot to the cold, like fast it just like <laughs> yeah 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 but we, i love the it. sunsets and so i a lot of times we'd sit out on top of our bradley's um and i guess i don't know what your audience is is it mostly military on your audience or uh you know pretty pretty varied among the dozen or so people who who listen the dozen or so. <laughs> um you know it's probably fellow veterans uh a lot of people and uh yeah as people with some okay, well if reference. you don't know what a bradley is it's like a miniature tank mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i remember we'd sit on top of the bradleys and watch the sunsets and and just talk sometimes and one one night me and raider were sitting on top of the bradley's talking me and raider had a lot of deep conversations about faith like and where i was where he was and oh that's great. and yeah, and we had one of those conversations that night, and I felt God like speak to me afterwards, and it's just like before we leave Iraq, he's gonna know, he's gonna know me, and I was so certain I heard God say this to me, I went and called his dad and told his dad that. <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah. I, that's that's a powerful moment. I mean, because you're yeah, you're kind of getting into it more. I don't want to say like, well, you don't have like an end goal in mind. Why exactly? you know, this is why I'm having this conversation. It's, it's kind of to understand where he is just, it's very general, general thing yeah. and, you know, gain empathy for his, his point of view and vice versa. And then all of a sudden a light goes off. That's, that's pretty yeah. incredible. Yeah. So, so I have that conversation with dad. I told his dad that not, I, I don't know whether dad believed me or not, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Skepticism but even then... from, from others of similar faith, yes. <laughs> yeah, but then, uh, then a couple months, couple months into the deployment from there, uh, it was January two thousand seven. Uh, big, big firefight, and leaving a lot of the personal details of this out. Um, Raider got shot in the chest twice, oh. and he was alive when he was medevaced off the field and died on the operating table at anaconda a couple hours later oh man oh 
and I remember just feeling like so let down and defeated by God. I was like, yeah, I thought you told me he was going to know you and now, you know, he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that was on top of losing like one of my soldiers, like that was yeah made it extra difficult for Rita to deal with at the time. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, like being in Iraq and being high op tempo and being infantry, like you don't have a whole lot of time to like grieve and mourn. And so you got to take that shortly after, bury it and start rolling missions again, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, but it was a couple weeks after that, uh, another one of my soldiers who had hurt his ankle doing dumb soldier things. It's a lot of injuries come from dumb soldier things more than you right. might expect. Right. So he had to get cleared to roll out on missions again. Mm-hmm. And so we're on, remember we're on this like little company size base. So we got to go to Anaconda for him to see a doctor. Okay. And so we're at Anaconda waiting for him to get checked out and cleared. And I start talking to this flight surgeon who's standing there in the hall. So it turns out this is the flight surgeon that had worked on Raider. Wow. And we asked him if there was anything that Raider had said that we could pass on to the family or anything like that afterwards. Yeah. Um, and he said, yeah, it was the craziest thing. He said he was trached, shouldn't have been able to talk well. He was kind of not all there all the time like with consciousness. Yeah. Um, but he said when he was awake and alert, the one thing he kept saying is, tell Mike I know God. Oh, and man. You know, there's no way this flight surgeon knows my first name is Mike. It says coming on my... Yeah, yeah. It... Yeah. That's it. And so, yeah. And so that, like... Wow. Rocked me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's insane. That Yeah, that's that's no coincidence. That's, yeah. that's something so, much bigger. Yeah, so then I was like... I was like super stoked about this. I was like, I gotta call his dad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so. I, so huge. We, we, by the time we get back to the base and we get a chance, I call his dad, and his dad tells me that he was having a hard time dealing with everything, and oh, of he course. Had, and the moment I called him, he was sitting in his office praying and he had told God that he needed something more. He needed Sergeant coming to call him. And that was right when I called him. Oh man. That's just crazy timing. Just again, can't be a coincidence. Just can't. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was, that was fairly early on in that deployment. Uh, Continued on. We, we, we lost, lost some more guys throughout the deployment. Um, we got blown up a couple times that year, and <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's not not an easy place to <laughs> easy place to be. Uh, you know, you're not facing regular forces. I mean, a lot of uh, you know a lot of people hear stories about IEDs. People, you know, veterans are not. You know, they can't look at trash on the side of the road even now back in the States. I mean, was, was that the yeah. type I, of I, I remember when we came, when we came home from that, because one of the things they would do is like burn tires. Yes. Over the road to make it look like asphalt where they're it buried an IED in the road. 
Yes. And so I, I had come home from that deployment and we took our 30 days of leave and um, we, we drove out to Arizona to visit Raiders parents. And then from there, we took the kids, because I had two kids by now. Um, <laughs> yep. so they, were, they were both really young still. Um, mm -hmm. But then we took the kids to Disneyland from Arizona. Very nice. And I remember driving out of Phoenix and a semi truck farther up the road had like blown a tire like recently. Ooh. And so that burnt rubber smell was in the air. Yeah. And I remember like flipping out, like looking around, like, trying to find. And then we came up on the semi truck and I was like, oh. Yeah. yeah. Got it. This is <laughs> a normal thing. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, because it's, uh, you know, it's something that uh, you have to be very conscious of while you're there. And then in order to, to stay alive and keep up at the tempo, that goes straight to your subconscious. And then you kind of almost, yeah. your conscious kind of forgets about it down there until, you know, something like that happens back in the States. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. So, I mean, you guys ran a lot of missions like that. I mean, you mentioned Bradley fighting vehicles earlier. I mean, you're out on missions with those. I mean, are you knocking down doors? What What were some of the types yeah. of missions? Yeah, we were, we were door to door. We did a lot of air inserts. Um, we did surprisingly four amphibious assaults in iraq off the tigris river <laughs> on zodiacs people don't think uh, about that <laughs> right wow yeah amphibious. and i i will tell you like being in the middle of the tigris river on a zodiac boat is the most vulnerable place i've ever felt like interesting they, yeah you're just out in the middle of a river on a boat like yeah yeah <laughs> yeah how easy it is to pick that silhouette out Seems like you probably wouldn't even have to be all that good of a name. I mean, you could probably skip bullets off the top of the surface of the water, right? right. At least yeah. pop the boat and make everybody swim. Jeez, please. Yeah. That's that's rough. Now, when you're the four amphibious assaults, was that, I assume, nighttime? Or they, were they Yeah, they were all enough? at night. Okay, good. Yeah. They weren't silly yeah. enough Almost to make Almost drowned in the Tigris River on one of those. Oh. So we, so we, we hit the... We hit the beach and everyone jumped off and I jumped out and, you know, I've got, you know, hundred pounds of body armor. And yeah. You ain't swimming in that. <laughs> right. And so it was deeper where I jumped out than I realized. Oh, and so no. I just like sunk, but I it reached up and grabbed like a rope yeah, on the Zodiac yeah. and was like hanging onto that. Well, I kind of got pulled back in a bit. So. <laughs> thank, well, thank God. I mean, I, I remember one time I had, uh, I was in a pool and, you know, properly attired for swimming. I had fins on and I tried to tread water holding a 45 pound plate. And it's like, no, you can't do it. Like, yeah, you could be, if you're really good, at least not, well, maybe not really good. Maybe you would be able to do it, but I was a pretty strong swimmer and it was like, I needed a buddy to like hold my swim trunks to hold me up so I could breathe. So, I mean, 100 yeah. pounds and you're wearing boots, so not flippers, you're screwed. Right. <laughs> you better hope that there's someone there to pull you up or you grab a rope. Good luck. Yeah. Got lucky yeah. there. And and the tiger cystus, because like, I don't want to drown the way I die anyway, because it seems like it would suck. But uh, yeah. I especially <laughs> don't want to drown in the tigress. That river is so gross. I Yeah, just any river in the Middle East, you're like, oh, that's good. Ew. Like, it just never conjures up images of anything nice or pure so yeah sounds yeah. like you know what is it the uh 
I can't even think of it now. It was something down on our border, you know, some dirty, dirty river that people catch diseases from crossing. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So we came back from that. We were home for a year and it went, went again. And third deployment. Uh, the third deployment. This one was a year long. It was in uh, Mosul. Oh, jeez. And this was, so each one was so different. Like, you know, the, the first one is more like the invasion type. Second one was during the surge, a lot of standing firefights, yeah, a lot of, yeah. a lot of, you know, chasing high value targets and knocking indoors. The, the third one was when we had started to some, I guess, try and transition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we weren't combat troops anymore we were aid and assist like we're still the same infantry unit that was there a year ago well but now we're aid and assist that that is very odd and especially because they'll talk about uh you know units training up other units to deploy like okay this is these are lessons learned like this is how you have to do things or you know forget about this how you were trained because this is what it is now and it's just what you're what you're learning is so quickly obsolete and your yeah. roles are changing so rapidly through the same damn war. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so same infantry guys, but different title to what we're doing. But with it came new rules of engagement. Like we oh. couldn't bring the track vehic- couldn't bring the track vehicles into the cities anymore. Okay. Uh, yeah, we had to let the Iraqi army know when and where we were patrolling because we were supposed to be like training them up to take over. Well, half of them are corrupt, so uh, yeah. <laughs> so the 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 standing firefights became less of a thing, and it was more IEDs, RPGs, grenades off of rooftops into the hatches on vehicles, and just oh, just felt like we just got pummeled. Oh yeah, you're you're just there as a giant bullet magnet, and yeah, and we we lost our our battalion commander mm. to a, a vehicle IED during that deployment, and that was the he was the highest ranking uh, casualty of the Iraq War to that at that point. Um, wow. Yeah, uh, it, it was massive. Dude. Like just yeah. Yeah, so we were there for a year. Um, I remember I was getting ready to get on the plane to come home from Iraq when the Fort Hood shooting happened. Oh, that's right. Oh, my. And you're still stationed out of Fort Hood at this point. I mean, obviously, you haven't changed units, so. Right, so we we missed, and that was in the the SRP center, you know, where you go to, like, come go to all the stations when you come back. And so, I mean, we missed being in that by days. Yeah, yeah, just nothing. Yeah, and when when we came back, it was still a crime scene, and they didn't really know what to do with us. So. Great. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah, and uh, it was it was after that deployment where I I really started to crack a little bit with some PTSD stuff. I I, I mean, how could you? Maybe this is maybe this is an inappropriate question, but how could you not? I mean that 
type of tempo. And even, you know, going back, there's no, as you said, everything changed every single time you went back. So there's not even yeah. like the stability of the war that you're expecting. I, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot for, for any one person to deal with. Yeah. So, yeah. And so I made, I made some poor decisions, nothing that was like going to get me in trouble. I mean, they're just poor decisions to, I, like, with life and yeah. Um, anyway, decided at this point, I, I can't, I can't keep up with this, this tempo. Yeah. So um, I decided to transition to the reserves because I didn't want to throw away 12 years. Right. Smart. Uh, so, so I transitioned to the Army Reserves and uh, changed my MOS to Civil Affairs, which is not what everyone thinks it is when they hear the name of it. <laughs> <laughs> I I briefly thought engineering. I know that's totally wrong. So uh, describe what Civil Affairs is for the uninitiated. So, civil, yeah, so I know most people hear Civil Affairs and they, they think public affairs. Right, right. Yeah, Precisely. but civil affairs is a lot of like non-lethal targeting stuff. Like, so you're you're really like getting doing area assessments, learning the culture of the people and things like that, so that you can okay. like, you know tell the tell the the ground commander like look, these are some things you might not want to do because you're going to piss the people off, and these are right. And so you're you're doing that kind of advising. You're doing humanitarian aid relief. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're just you're doing a lot of information gathering too. Like yeah. uh like we'd go on into countries and just, you know, walk around and talk to people and get information. Mm -hmm. Um and then they had no idea that's what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Crafty. and then like civil affairs like in a combat environment like you're still attached to the infantry rolling out with them on their missions mm -hmm. but while the infantry is kicking indoors like you're having a meeting with the sheik and they oh you need this well you know we'll we'll build you a school but you're going to have to do this and this and this for us and and yeah kind of negotiating some of that stuff and and finding out some of that stuff to like brief to the commander like you know this is okay what they want in the village or, you know, and then the commander can decide if it's something they're going to support or not. But. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's way different than what I was expecting. So it's, yeah, like you say, negotiation, negotiating, that sounds uh, kind of like a more militaristic version of sales. I would not be good at that. How, <laughs> how did you, yeah, so it was, did you it was a lot of fun. Oh, you did. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's a good yeah, change then. It was a lot of fun. It was, and it was because I did I did, yeah, I think my other my my other options at the time when I was going in reserves was I could be a mechanic, mm. cook, like yeah, all the <laughs> things like, I didn't want to do. Wow, I really didn't like, like any of this. I, crap. Did, I yeah. was like, well, civil affairs that it, it still rolls out with the infantry, so it's like I felt like it was still like same ballpark arena like i'm yeah. still on the ground doing things and rolling out on missions and that's what i wanted but... that man you you found a good one i and i mean how how much did you have in the way of choice of of going you know changing mos's or anything yeah so i didn't have a, a ton because you know how as you go up and rank and then the spots yeah yep. so but civil affairs i think you had to be you either had to be E5 or E6 to 
transition into it from okay active military makes sense yeah you don't want to just yeah. put buck privates in there negotiating with people that sounds like a recipe for disaster <laughs> yeah the, the interesting thing though is like if you just join the reserves i got a high school you can join civil affairs but if you're coming to civil affairs from anywhere else you have to be a certain rank makes sense to me <laughs> right yeah i don't know <laughs> whatever yeah whatever <laughs> so anyway yeah so civil affairs it was, it was the obvious choice out of the options I had, and I, it was a good one for me. It fit me well. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. Um, so that brought me up to Utah in 2011. All right. Um, uh, what made you decide on Utah? Just that's where the reserves took you, or that's where you wanted to go to school? So so I'd already decided on Utah. Well, that was another thing, too. So I'd already decided I wanted to go to the school at the University of Utah, Um Right. And then I went to see what was available in Utah for the reserves. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah. what led me to the University of Utah is as we're getting ready to make this transition off active duty, mm-hmm. um, I was looking at different schools and some of the programs, trying to figure out like what it was I wanted to do. That's a big question. Someone had mentioned the National Outdoor Leadership School to me in Lander, Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And so I looked them up to see what they were all about. And then I learned that they were affiliated with the University of Utah, oh. which got me to look over University of Utah way. And I was like, oh, the like, University of Utah is the only school that like, works both ways with National Outdoor Leadership School. So Knowles, the National Outdoor Leadership School is like the premier adventure outdoor school in the country oh okay amazing and so half of the professors in the adventure and outdoor program uh department at the university of utah were also Knowles instructors oh interesting yeah and so so university of utah hands down the best program in the country for outdoor professional stuff okay and so that's why i picked university of utah (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah. Go, right. go be a leader yeah. in the field. Yeah. So best choice I could have ever made on a major. So. Uh, well, of course. Yeah. You don't have to do hours in a lab or uh, <laughs> write. Yeah. Like papers. half of my classes were outside. I remember my big final for my bachelor's degree was a seven day backpacking trip in the Uintas that we all led part of and taught classes on and amazing what a right what a great program <laughs> i know it was genius a, it was. Yeah, yeah it's like so, being it's like deciding to become a pe teacher but like fun <laughs> right. you know and cool yeah yeah amazing yeah the only downside to it is if you want to actually work in that field professionally yeah that might if be you're tough. if you're a single dude or a young 20s it's great if you have a wife and kids it's another story yeah it's, it's it's really hard unless you like own a company yes yes i can imagine guiding doesn't have like any like benefits like medical or anything like that to cover anybody no. like, it's, you know the the pay is here and there and <laughs> i well i i worked for a rafting company when i was still in high school and i went to their guide school i was like oh maybe i could pick up like a few 
things as like a river guide and like I finished the training and I was like, wait, you guys are going to pay how much? Never mind. And I was 17. <laughs> like the money yeah. wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's a thankless, payless job because you get to be outside, I guess. Yeah. But I had a blast going to school. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. So I finished, finished my bachelor's degree and then I was like, I'll just do master's now in the same program. So Why I applied not? for the master's program at the University of Utah and got in um, and then continued with that because um, I had more time on my GI Bill. So I was thinking, I might as well use it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get that sweet, whatever it was, like $1,400 $1, a month BAH. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, but during my time at the university, and so the back of the story, yeah. Because it's a, it's kind of an important part of the story. So when mm -hmm. I I remember distinctly the day I drove off of Fort Hood for the last time. Oh yeah, that's a weird was feeling. like even though I had like my kids and my wife we were all together in the car. Um, it was the loneliest feeling of my life. Really? Yeah, I was just like I was leaving like the whole world I knew, everybody that could relate to anything I'd been through. Yeah. behind and now all of a sudden like it's it's just gone like yeah there's nobody that like actually understands like what any of those deployments was like like yeah. and yeah and that was when i really like started to like crumble with like ptsd symptoms yeah. it was after i left the active duty world and i think that is a, a more common thing among veterans than people realize is when you're oh, yeah. while you're still on active duty at least you have like this community this brotherhood these, these guys that yeah even if they didn't go through the same experiences they mm -hmm. they understand yes what it what it's like the like you can relate to each other and yeah. And when you leave that, you lose that, that community. Mm -hmm. And like our world today is so isolating and polarizing that oh, yes. nobody wants, nobody wants to understand it. Nobody mm -hmm. wants to be bothered by it. Nobody wants to hear about the war oh, and yeah. yeah, you just deal with it on your own. I, well, yeah, it's, and yeah, nobody wants to hear about the war. Some people don't even really understand like the war is, still going on or anything like that like i swear yeah. there are people watching the you know afghanistan a year and a half ago going, we, we were still over there it's like yes right. yes we are yeah. still over there yeah and and you're right just in every day you know it's not just isolated to the veteran community but just people have a less and less interest in really learning and getting to know other people it's just all like you say it's just all isolated so yeah it's understanding of veterans is getting worse and worse and worse as the years go on. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I start crumbling PTSD wise and just mentally and, and yeah. And so it cost me, it cost me my family. Um, oh, and I don't blame her at all. She'd been through a lot through our 10 years of active duty and multiple deployments Oh, the sure. stuff I put her through, like just not handling things well and, and then yeah. crumbling and like 
I get it. Like, yeah. there's only so much you can take. Like, and we're, yeah. and so me and the mother of my kids, we're great friends today and co-parent really well. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, like, I can hang out with her and her husband and all the kids, and it's not weird, and we Good. all get along. Good. Um, but, but it, you know, it ran its course. I, I, I was in a terrible place. Yeah. Um, it was Memorial Day 2012 mm-hmm. when I was escorted by the police to the VA hospital in Salt Lake and held on a psych hold. Oh, man. Because everybody was absolutely certain I was going to become one of the statistics and I wish I could say looking out for you yeah but I wish I could say that was when I started to get better but it wasn't it was just I got better at hiding things yeah yeah you kind of that's your primary yeah in a lot of cases that is kind of the primary response like I just can't have this happen again that's really what you're thinking about you know big picture is not going to happen yet yeah, because I mean, I'm I'm still in the military as a reservist, um, mm-hmm. which was also that was a culture shock too. Was to go from oh the active duty God. world to the reserves, where you have people that you know, it's only ever been a part time job. Yes, and they don't understand like the magnitude of like how important it is to like take the time you have there and train because that you only get so much time to get good at what you're supposed to be good at yep. and if you have to go over there you have to be proficient and yeah totally and so to get that through, <laughs> right so to try and get this through some of these kids heads was like <laughs> yeah what are you doing oh. yeah um so but I, I i adapted to it over time <laughs> yeah give it time yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, so but so so from Memorial Day 2012 to it was around well okay so yeah Memorial Day 2012 and then I started my internship for my degree program in August of 2012. Okay. And I had found my love for rock climbing at this point in time. Yes. And so I did my internship with a local guide company that I'd done a lot of work with. Mm-hmm. Thinking it was just going to take people climbing. It was going to be easy internship, right? And just yeah. check the box. And so first day of the internship, uh, one of the owners of the guide company, his name's Nick. He pulls me aside. And he's like, so what do you want to do while you're here? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you're not just going to take people climbing. You know how to do that. Like, let's yeah. do something while you're while you're here doing this. And I was like, maybe we can make a veterans climbing program. It helped me a lot. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So oh, Operation amazing. Climb On was born. Oh, that's awesome. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. So, yeah. So we started Operation Climb On and it became very successful immediately. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of that was the Veterans Support Center at the University of Utah helped push it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a one-stop marketing agency. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, but what, once we got it going, it, it just kept rolling. Um, and it, helping other vets through climbing helped me a lot in my own journey. Yeah. Um, but I, I still was, I was still struggling and dealing with a lot at that point. Um, and it was oh, for sure. right around the, right around Veterans Day of 2012. 
mm-hmm. when our friend Roger Perkins mm-hmm. <laughs> talked me into talking to a VA counselor one time. I agreed to go one time. Yeah. <laughs> and so that one time turned into another time, which turned into another time and turned into the next six years of counseling. Oh, man. But good. I, You know, good on Roger. He is like the king of get him to agree one time and then it'll work itself out from there. Because he would, yeah. when you became a new student, he would send, it was an automated email that I'm sure his work study sent out. But it was like, come by for a cup of coffee. I'm like, I like coffee. And that was like a roach motel. And I was just like stuck in the veteran support center, which is not a bad thing. You know, yeah. and you get, it's everything you need. So, yeah, they get you through the door and then, you know, everything seems to take care of itself from there. But that's that's great that he got you yeah. to go. And yeah. So so my journey back started then um, and it was a combination of Operation Climb On and like, having a purpose, helping other veterans and actually like putting in some really hard work with therapy. Yeah. For six years. For sure. Um, and then uh, having having that community with, with some of the other vets that were, came along as instructors of the Operation Climb On program with me. Yeah. Uh, there's like my, my, my new little tribe there. <laughs> yeah. You built your, your newest team. That's yeah. That's amazing. Um, yeah, so so that we had that going on, and then somewhere in there, I met my next wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And that was that was a challenge. Um, now, was she also a student? I now I'm no not no reflecting. okay okay no, but she was in the Salt Lake area. Um, so we got married, and then she had a developed an addiction to opioids oh yeah uh okay. from some medical conditions she had mm-hmm. yeah I, and it, and it just got it got pretty bad like it was like and i was just i was over it um and so i remember the beginning of october of let's see it was nine years ago so that would have been what year? 2014. It's nine years ago. Because uh, I didn't. Whatever year that is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's 2013. It doesn't so matter. It was nine yeah. years ago. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Actually, yeah. Was it nine? Whatever. Long enough. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So I I interviewed for what seemed like a dream job for me, which mm-hmm. was going to be working for the Department of the Army as a civilian in Alaska, running all of the outdoor recreation programs for the soldier station there. Oh, amazing. Right. Yeah. So like taking a fishing, it. climbing, skiing, whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Your yeah. wheelhouse. So like dream job for me. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I interviewed for it, 
And I remember talking to the kids and their mom about it. And they were like, well, what are you going to do if you get it? It's like, I'm just going to go to Alaska. And she's like, that's great. The kids can come up and spend summer in Alaska. That'd be awesome. We'll figure out visitation. Like everybody's on board. And then she's like, what are you going to do with your wife? I was like, I'm just leaving her here. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. Why not? What is she going to do? Right. Come to Alaska? Come on now. Yeah. Get through. Wow. Yeah, because I'm I'm over the addiction thing. Like it's yeah. Uh, yeah um, it's but tough to deal with. It was it wasn't very long after that interview. Um, she had gone and picked up her daughter from daycare. She had a two year old daughter mm-hmm. from daycare, and then was driving home. Mm-hmm. And had a, a massive seizure and got in a massive car accident. Oh man! And her daughter was in a coma for a bit. Oh god! Two year yeah. old in a and, coma. Yeah, and quadriplegic. Oh. On life support. Um, oh my god! Yeah, and all of a sudden, I didn't feel like I could just up and leave. No, no, that changes everything. Yeah. yeah. And so it was the, literally three days after the accident, Alaska called and offered me the job. Uh, and I said, I can't do it. I, yeah, I don't know what, you know, the future looks like now after, after oh, this. Yeah. And they're like, well, what if, what if we hold it for six months? And I was like, I can't have you hold a job for six months. And then I still can't take it. I I don't yeah. know what the next six months looks like anymore. I, yeah, yeah. Who could? And so tur- turned down my dream job mm. and stayed and, and took care of them. So she came out of the coma. She woke up. Mm. Um, she did have some, some brain damage and mm. stuff. But, you know, she more or less got better as like as much as she could yeah 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 um yeah so but she required you know 24 hour uh respiratory care and uh, and so when she was able they moved her from primary children's to an assisted living facility mm-hmm. and she lived there and then i just ended up having to take care of the the wife now because she can't drive anymore and oh yeah guilt from the accident and she just spiraled further yeah down the drain yeah that's not something that you bounce back from i mean yeah even yeah and and so like i know like from dealing with my own demons that Mm -hmm. you know her drinking and increased drug usage and cheating and things like that is all is trying to numb the pain and oh, so I'm yeah. not taking it personally, yeah, even, though it, it, person... even though it does still feel personal, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I'm sticking through it because I'm like, I, I know that's what this is. Yes. Yes. And so I stuck through it as long as I could, which was like another couple of years. And finally I just had to draw a line in the sand and yeah, cut how, my losses. How, yeah. How much can you put up with? I mean, you know, yeah. it, there's, you know, that is uh, an amazing, honorable desire to want to save someone, but at what cost to you? You're still a person. Right. You know? And what I realized later on was, in a, in a, 
Well, I, I didn't. I wasn't intending to be, but I was enabling her to do that by taking care of her. Interesting. And yeah. so after I was out of the picture, I I don't know how much more she spiraled, but she hit a point where she got herself completely sober and was like wow. super involved with taking care of her daughter again and got everything figured out. And yeah. I, I mean, that's amazing. Cause there's, well, this probably comes with the territory of people being isolated from one another, but a lot of times, you know, from the outside looking in to someone else's problems, you think, okay, well you do this, 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 and this, but what you're describing for her is like, I wouldn't even know where to start. I mean, that's, incomprehensible yeah. to me so that she she ever saw any improvement is is really incredible good yeah. for her good for her but yeah so wow. but you know that i was the only father figure ever in that child's life so like i always considered her my kid and mm -hmm. continued to go visit her even after that relationship ended and mm -hmm. stayed involved um she just passed away back in november um, oh, i'm so sorry oh, but terrible but we got seven more years with her than we thought we were going to. So that's, yeah, that's, that's quite a lot. Oh my God. I'm so yeah. sorry, Mike. Yeah. Um, and I should, I guess I should back up. Like when I, when I really started having my PTSD issues and my family fell apart and everything, I bought into this, this lie that I had screwed up my life too much to ever be used by God again. And so I kind of walked away from my faith during this time as well. Mm -hmm. Um, always, always believed in God. Like there was no doubt. Like I had that moment with Raider that forever made me know there's a God I, that I bought into like, yeah. I can't be used anymore. I've, I've messed up too much. So why even try? Right. Right. Yeah. There's, you know, with, <laughs> with that much going on, I mean, developing a defeatist attitude I mean, for lack of a better term. I mean, it just, it almost just comes with the territory. It's just, you can't, can't see the light at the bottom of the hole that you're in. Yeah. Yeah. So then, um, you know, I, I worked my way back to a healthy place, PTSD wise, more or less. Um, but I was, I was pretty much a shell of myself emotionally mm -hmm. around the end of 2019. Um, and it's then, then I came back home to Washington in January, 2020 to visit right before COVID happened. <laughs> what an opportune time. <laughs> yeah. And when I was back home visiting my mom and my brother, I just really felt like I needed to be back here. Yeah. And yeah. so I, so I went back to Utah and I went and talked to my kids and their mom. And I was like, if I go back up to Washington and just kind of start over, like, what do you guys think? Um, and all of them are like, if you can go start over and watch it and you need to go. Yeah. Yeah. And so having, having their blessing and support. Good. Meant everything. Family. I wasn't going to do it otherwise. Yeah. What a great family. Uh, yeah. So then I, I started looking at transferring my, because by this time I'm working at the VA now also. Right. Right. Um, which was another great reason great thing for choosing adventure and outdoor programs because the VA only cares that you have a degree, not in what it's in. <laughs> it's got to love government work, right? <laughs> right. So it's like, 
I, I played during college and still got a job. So yes, <laughs> well <laughs> done, well done. Yeah, crack the code, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I moved my job from the VA up to Seattle office, and you know transferred to uh, a unit up here for the reserves. Perfect. And moved back to Washington in June 2020, like mid full on COVID and riots in the streets of Seattle. Uh, <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it was an opportune time to come back here. Oh, yeah. uh, actually, I think it, it was it was God's timing and really good for me to come during that. Um, yeah. So I ended up renting uh, one of the extra rooms at my mom's house because I didn't know where I wanted to like settle in. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't really and, know until you physically get there anyway. A lot of yeah. Times. And so I was like, well, that helps her you know pay some of her bills and sure. helps me because i'm not paying like stupid amount of rent and i'm not locked into anything and yeah. i can take my time and figure out where i want to actually be 100%. yeah so it was super convenient um <laughs> and Good. so i moved up back up here with my dog and um spent probably the next six months of weekends just me and my dog up in the mountains in washington by ourselves oh, and amazing. really just got a lot of like rest for the soul and healing and time yeah. with god up in the mountains and it was just i think it was it was just what we needed like, i wasn't going to church or anything i was just going up in the mountains and that's that's where i was finding god yeah and so my my brother that lives up here he's a pastor on staff at one of the local churches. Um, and I wouldn't even go to his church unless he was speaking. That was the only time I went to church was when my brother was speaking. He's a <laughs> phenomenal speaker. I oh, love yeah? listening to the guy. Amazing. Older um, or younger brother? Younger. Okay. Like three years younger. Yeah. Oh, not much then. Okay. Yeah. So pretty, we're pretty close in age. Yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah. And so I love hearing him speak. So I'd go when he'd speak, but otherwise I told him, I was like, no. Yeah. mountains are my church now yeah <laughs> well yeah, yeah priorities i keep yeah. it simple um i'd only go to church when my brother would speak because loved hearing him yeah otherwise like i i would always tell them the mountains mountains is my church so yeah that's well and that's that's the biggest thing it's not just a the act of going somewhere of going to church it's i mean if you're not feeling the presence of god right you're kind of just going through the motions yeah um, yeah, and I, I'm kind of like jaded towards it at this point now too. So I hear you there. I uh, I'm a Catholic, but uh, I haven't been to church in a while because at some point I just feel like the money that I'm putting in the collection plate is eating at a betting. At this point, it's like uh, yeah, I don't feel God. My money's going down the drain or being used for something not good. I don't know. So I hear you. Yeah. So yeah. So it was about it was December of. 2020 now um and i woke up in the middle of the night and this is probably the second time in my life i really like felt like god like really spoke to me and like i just knew it like yeah first time was raider this and now this time and he just kind of told me like gave me my identity again he said you know you're a warrior you're wounded and uh, you're in this place right now where nobody knows where you are unless you want them to know. And this is your time to just heal and recover and find me again. And then 
eventually you'll step back into the arena. And interesting, especially yeah. And so, yeah. So then I I told my brother about it, and he's like, "You need to write that down." I was like, "Okay." So I wrote it down. So that's why I still remember it because I wrote it down. (laughs) Brother's a smart man. Good advice. (laughs) Yeah. So so then we'll fast forward a, a few months. And it was probably March of 21 or yeah, 21 now. Mm-hmm. And something inside me is like, go try a church out. And I was like, and so at this point in my life, like I'm like making deals with God. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'll go try a church for a month. <laughs> this is your civil affairs uh, <laughs> taking the right. lead. <laughs> yeah. Negotiating with God. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That works. So I was like, I'll go try church for a month. And if I don't like it, I'm not going back ever. Unless Kevin's speaking, my brother. Of course. There's always that caveat. (laughs) Yeah. And so I went to this church for a month. I wasn't feeling it. And then I went and had lunch with a friend and I was telling them I, you know, I tried church for a month, wasn't feeling it, probably done with it. And my friend's like, yeah, but you only tried one church. Ah, yes. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, you know, there's a lot of churches out there. Tons. Yeah. And I was like, fine, I'll try one more. <laughs> so I go to this this church called Venture Church. Um, just because right. I thought the name sounded cool and it was close to my house. Yeah. Venture, and... Adventure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so the and that looking back on this like i can see like i'm looking at this point in my life i was looking for reasons not to go exactly yeah 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 and so i go and i listen and the the preacher she did great um except i didn't like the story that she opened it up with Hmm. and i just thought it was dumb what and uh, what was the story I don't even remember. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it, but it, it had it wasn't like there was anything wrong or anything. I just I I didn't think it was. I was that was a dumb story. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah, and so then I was that day I was having uh, lunch at my brother's house. So I went up there and I was telling him about it, and and he's like, "Oh, did you meet this guy? Me and him used to do youth camps together back when we were youth pastors." And I was like, "No, but I saw him on the screen like doing an announcement thing and." They had a video of him, and he's like, oh, you got to meet him. You'll love that guy. And I was like, well, I'm not going back. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, why? And so I told him about this story, and he's like, wait, that's the only reason you're not going back? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, you need to go one more time. Oh, boy. They don't let you quit. Fine. Yeah, so I went one more time, and Pastor Brandon, the senior pastor of the church, spoke that Sunday morning. Okay. And I, I was, I was hooked. Like yeah. I'd never heard anyone speak like he did before. And like, oh wow, yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe this is my place. Yeah, amazing. So I found. So next thing I know, like I've been a regular attender at Venture Church ever since. And then. Oh, that's fantastic! Wow. Yeah. Going strong then, in three years now. Plus. Yeah, yeah. And then, fast forward. To, to February of 22 mm-hmm. 
Okay. So anybody who, who knows me well knows like I'm a diehard baseball guy. Like <laughs> I go to college baseball. Like if I'm driving by and there's little league games and I have nothing going on, I'll be the creepy guy sitting there watching little leaguers play that aren't <laughs> my kids. That's all right. I'm sure they're good. Glad to have the audience. Yeah. Like, I love major league baseball. You know. Yeah. Baseball. Love baseball. So college baseball starts first every year. Um, and yeah. so it was February and I was going to a, a cold February baseball game at the university of Washington. Perfect. And it happened to be little league day. And so like every little league team was there, like, and it was just packed with little leaguers. Of course. Yeah. And I went to, to get in line to get a hot dog and it was like ridiculously long and I wouldn't have stayed in the line except like I, I got in the line and I turned around and one of the pastors from Venture Church walked up right behind me. Of all places. <laughs> right. And this is what, so this guy, I've, I've met him like a couple of times. Like we know who each other are, but I don't know anything about him. He doesn't really know anything about me. Right. And so now we spend 45 minutes in the hot dog line. Oh man, <laughs> they need to remit well, camp their business model. <laughs> right. But I think it was meant to be because I spent 45 right. minutes there and he was, you know, asking me about my background and I told him about my military and how I'd worked with ran operation climb on in Utah for nine years. And yeah. And he was like, Oh, so you still want to do something with vets? And I was like, I do. Um, and I just don't know what it looks like right now. Cause initially mm -hmm. I thought I was going to come up here and start another branch of operation climb on. Yeah. Um, but then I realized that I don't have, the climbing partners and the climbing resources and connections yep. in Washington, like I had in Utah. And it was just, it was going to take a long time to develop that here. Like I had the luxury of sure. going through a degree program in, at the university of Utah and making yep. all kinds of connections right, right there then. Yeah. And, you know, getting local sponsors like black diamond and yes. Yeah. And so, I don't have all of that in Washington. And so I, was, so I realized that Operation Climb On is not starting another chapter in Washington. Yes. And then I realized that I'm not going back to Utah. So I finally gave it up and stepped away mm -hmm. um, from the program. Yeah. Yeah. Which was hard for me. It's that oh, yeah. I realized it's your also baby. that you started it. Yeah. It was my baby, but it also kind of became my identity too, which was a right. problem. Mm hmm. Yeah. And because I identified myself as Operation Climb on more or less like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I'm thinking at this point, I'm going to do something adventure therapy again, but I just don't know what it looks like. Right. And so I'm talking to this this pastor from Venture Church about all of this. And he's like, well, what if we started something at the church for vets? And I was like, maybe. OK, so, I'm listening. Yeah. Yeah, so he's like, well, we got a, a leadership meeting tomorrow night. You should come to it. I was like, just like that? And he's like, <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, come like... talk about your heart for vets. And I was like, okay. Amazing. So I showed up at this meeting the next night and started talking about my heart for vets. And and we talked, started talking about like maybe having just like a, a, a group for vets at the church. And I'm thinking yeah. like small scale, right? Like I'm thinking sure. like handful of vets at a coffee shop or a pub or something you know not like yeah anything like start small major 
Yeah. Right. So next thing I know, like I have this encounter with God that like just totally wrecks me and like drastically changes the way I walk with him. Like where I'd been like, where I thought I was doing well for a long time because I was so much better than I had been during that 10 years where I was not walking in faith at all. Yeah. Yeah. But what, but what I realized was like, I got better and then I got complacent. Yes. Yes. And comfortable with where I was and like, and I was just comparing it to where I was. And I realized like I was, I was not actually doing well. Like I was right. Right. I was just, well, you're not yeah. growing and you're stagnating. Right. Yeah. And so that, that encounter just wrecked me with, with God and, and just totally changed like everything in my life going yeah. forward from that point. Mm-hmm. And that was around April of 22 that that happened. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden, like this veterans thing has they just blown up on me without me even trying <laughs> amazing right um like we haven't launched it yet and i'm thinking about like where we're gonna where we're gonna meet for this and i was like so i'm talking to that same pastor about it and he's mm-hmm. like well there's nothing happening at so our church has a couple of campuses okay he's like there's, there's nothing happening at the everett campus on wednesday night and i was like wait like the whole building <laughs> he's like yeah why not yeah i was like Okay, so next thing I know, I've got keys and an alarm code for one of the church buildings. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's great. And uh, What a huge start. Right. And, and so we launched it officially May 22nd, 2022. Amazing. And it, it dawned on me a little bit later that, because that was right before Memorial Day weekend of 22. Oh, right, right. What a huge milestone. And so it was almost exactly 10 years to the day that I had been escorted by the VA police or by the police to the VA. Wow. To standing in front of a church of a couple thousand people and launching this veterans ministry. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And it's a long way to go. Right. Yeah. And I can only say that it was, it was through, you know, having a community with other vets that finding purpose again, the grace and healing that Jesus offered me and, and yeah, having people like stand with me through it all. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, amazing. And so we launched venture vets May 22nd of 22 and we started a, a Facebook page for it. And then the the format for it is we meet, well, we started doing Wednesday nights in Everett mm-hmm. for the first two months. Okay. And then we, we'd grown enough that we moved to the church's main campus building in Mill Creek, Washington. Wow. And switched to Thursday nights. Okay. Um, yeah. And we, we started with the barbecue and we had like, I think it was like 20, 25 people come to our first barbecue event. And I was like, I was stoked. I was like, oh, yeah. That's, that's a, lot a good of turnout for a first event. Yeah, yeah. that girl is busy. <laughs> and yeah, and then we had, we I think we started off like five or six vets showing up at first. And it was really cool because we had 
Vietnam through current generation vets. Yes. And they all, well, they all their experiences are different. Like they all can relate to each other and they it is all amazing. understand each other. And it's really cool to, to see. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. And so that we're meeting weekly and so the kind of the format is a, a short little, like 15 minute lesson. And then we have discussion and it's just, it's been so cool to see this, this thing. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. That's and awesome. now it's it. Now um, coming up almost, almost a year now, like yeah, in May. Yeah, very close. That's yeah. great. Now we've got about 20 regular vets on Thursday nights. Wow. Um, and we've got 270 something in our online group. Amazing. Yeah. That's it's just, ton of yeah, it's just been incredible. We, and we had a big veterans dinner in January. Uh, mm -hmm. They had a really cool speaker come. You should get him on your podcast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely. Yeah. Open. I'll tell you about him later offline. But sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Secret for now. Shh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but we had 115 vets show up to the dinner. Wow. In January. Yeah. It was just, it's just incredible to see this. And then to hear some of the stories of these guys, they, yeah, they, I've got to hear them like tell stories they've never told before and just see them grow and come to life and heal through this. Like we got one guy, he was, a he's a coast guard vet from Vietnam. I had no idea the coast guard was in Vietnam until I met this guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not but they they used about. to they drove the the boats up the rivers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, had no idea that was Coast Guard. Yeah, How yeah. Crazy. So this guy he got he got all shot up in Vietnam, almost lost his legs, and for wow the last fourteen years he he told me this just the other day that he had been going to therapy every other week for fourteen years. He didn't leave his house except to go to like VA meetings or you know, get groceries and just isolated and just didn't do anything. So yeah. he got drugged to venture vets by another Vietnam vet. <laughs> oh, that's great. And, and the first, you know, month or so, he didn't really say much. He was just quiet, just kind of sat there. Yeah. Uh, but now um, he laughs, he smiles, he talks to everybody. That's great. He has a great time. He's volunteering at a food bank three times a week. Yeah. And and then oh, just this great. last Thursday, he told me that his VA counselor told him he doesn't need to come anymore. Amazing. Right. That's, and I was like, that's fantastic. And how, yeah. how quick and was so that turnaround from him? It was showing about eight up months. Now? Astonishing. Yeah. I, what, yeah. What a quick change. Yeah. And so it's just so powerful to see how having community and purpose and faith. Yes. Oh, huge. Help so drastically to heal from like PTSD and just all of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that's enormous. Because like you say, like the feeling that you had driving off of Fort Hood is, yes, you, you're you doing the smart thing by going from active duty to reserves. You're, you don't have that constant stress being introduced to your life from back-to-back -back deployments. But there so goes your support network. Now what? Right. Where, where do you where do you start? Where do you how do you even begin? Where, where do you go? Um, and I mean, you've created that for other people, and that's that's incredible. Like, amazing work. So, yeah. I mean, I wish I could say it's me, but like, I feel like I've just been facilitating and 
God just does all of this and just drops it in our lap and I just keep rolling with it. <laughs> well, yeah, and hey, you've you're putting in you're putting in the work and you know, you're create just if people have a place to to physically go, I think that could be a big thing. I I go to uh there's an American Legion hall, but again, most everyone there is a Vietnam era vet. Yeah. And I walked in one day, I don't think they knew what what I was supposed to be doing and it's like yeah, I no, I wanted to join. They said, okay, well, we have a breakfast on Saturday mornings. I was like, perfect. Sounds great. It's just, you know, they're just kind of shoot the breeze and whatever else. It's like, what the hell do I have in common with a bunch of like 70 year old dudes? It's like, eh, quite a lot, actually, you know, and it's just, uh, you know, it's cathartic to just be able to tell your stories and shoot the breeze, whatever it is, um, and just to get my ass out of bed on a Saturday morning right. at a decent hour. I, you know, and that's, you know, for me, my needs are pretty simple, but yeah, to have that community of veterans and, and especially as you mentioned in your case, I mean, there's cases of PTSD where people can't, they can't relaunch socially or anything else. And, and you're, you've created a space for them to be able to do that. That's incredible. Yeah, it's it's been so fun to get to be a part of it. Oh, for sure. For sure. Now, we'll we'll probably kind of wrap things up a little bit here, but um you know, one of the things that I always ask people whenever they come on is uh you know, you through this incredible experience of well, first you got to serve two different branches, uh two different MOSs. Uh Yeah, and I just retired last April too. Congratulations. <laughs> Fantastic work. Um, so, yeah, you've seen active duty reserves. Uh, if someone's looking to go in today, do you have do you have any advice? Uh, I would say. Choose carefully. Um, but if it's something you're interested in, why not give it a try? Yeah try anything once twice three times (laughs) yeah i mean the the benefits i think of even doing one enlistment Mm -hmm. you're gonna get so much out of it like you're gonna get some education benefits out of it i know that's not the reason we do it like we talked about that towards the beginning of my story (laughs) well yeah if you're joining the marines for education benefits everything's all backwards anyway (laughs) yeah but yeah but i mean you're gonna get some education benefits and other benefits out of it you're gonna learn some stuff um, you're going to, it's going to, I think it's going to develop who you are as a person a little bit, For give sure. you a little bit more character. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I think one enlistment, if it's not for you, then you didn't hurt anything. You only gained from it. Yes, exactly. No, I, I agree with that. I, I get, uh, I find myself getting slipping a little bit into the cynical and, uh, I saw a kid on the bus the other night. He had a, a junior Navy ROTC patch on his jacket. And so I talked to him and he's a senior in high school. He's getting ready to join the Marine Corps. And, you know, it was like real gung ho about it. Wants to serve his country. And, you know, again, cynical me, it's like running into like a 10 year old who still believes in Santa Claus. It's like, Oh, that's endearing, but he's going to get crushed. But you're right. I mean, ultimately, no, this will be a good experience for him. He will get something out of this and, you know, God bless him. Yeah. Still kids like, I don't know it. 
I don't know too many people that look back on their service as a whole and be like, oh, I should have never done it. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's the thing. As jaded as I get about my Navy service, people are like, do you wish you didn't serve? I'm like, oh, whoa, hold up. I didn't say all that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you call my bluff, yeah. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm glad I yeah. did Yeah, no matter, no matter what you go through, I think you're hard-pressed to find vets that wish they wouldn't have done it at all. Right. Like, I think everybody found something in it that that meant something to them and That's has some true. pride in it and did something that not everybody else can do. That's absolutely beautifully stated. Well, uh, Mike, I, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, for the YouTube version of this, uh, the link to Venture Vets, we'll, we'll put that into the, in the description. The uh, It's Facebook page, right? Is where you guys have your Yeah, info. that's the best way to get a hold of Perfect. us. Perfect. So yeah, we'll we'll have that uh, in the video description. Um, but uh, any other uh, parting words of wisdom uh, for this episode? Yeah. Find community, find purpose, find faith. Beautiful and elegant in its simplicity. <laughs> Mike, thanks so much yeah. for coming on. Thanks for sharing your story and uh, have a great rest of your night. All right, you too. Thanks for having me. All right.